continuing on with our our study of the book of Acts. Um, I, uh, I'm going to continue to do it expositorily, um, and we'll try to apply some of the principles that we find and, and find the modern application for those, apply it to our life. But I'm thoroughly enjoyed reading through the book of Acts and studying it with everyone. Let's just get started with prayer this morning. God, we thank you today, Lord, for all the faithful saints of God that are in the house of the Lord. We thank you, God, for their attendance. We thank you today for their attention to the word. Pray that you would open the word to us, Lord. Open our ears to hear and our hearts to receive. Lord, prepare us, Lord, to study your word. God, reveal your truth of the word of God to us today. And we love you and we thank you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Last week, Brother Ryan, Brother Ryan uh, taught on Ananias and Sapphira in Acts, the fifth chapter. And we're going to pick up where he left off in verse 12. And um, we are going to endeavor to study ch- verses 12 through 42 today. Um, following that, we'll then get into the story of Stephen, which pretty much takes up chapters 6 and chapter 7. So, um, as I said, Brother, Brother Ryan covered Ananias and Sapphira last week. And so this week we'll pick up Acts, the fifth chapter. In verse 12 says, And by the hands of the apostles were many signs and wonders wrought among the people. Say with me, the people. The people. And they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. And of the rest durst no man join himself to them, but the people. Say the people. The people magnified them. Speaking of the apostles. And the believers were the more added to the Lord, multitudes, both of men and women, insomuch that they brought forth the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and couches, that at the least the shadow of Peter passing by might overshadow some of them. And came also a multitude out of the cities round about Jerusalem, bringing sick folks, and them which were vexed with unclean spirits, and they were healed, every one of them. So, uh, just to remind you uh, of where we are in our text and to put our text into context, uh, there had been the outpouring of the Holy Ghost, of course, in Acts chapter 2. Um, and we know that Peter stood up and preached that famous first message of the church uh, about how to be saved. And, and there were some things that uh, that were going on there um, that... Um, you're no doubt familiar with, that there were people around about, and they were wondering, why are these people acting this way? Some said they were drunk, et cetera, et cetera. But there was a crowd of people, and the the outcome of that is some of them, after Peter preached, the Bible says they were, quote, pricked in their heart, they were convicted, and they wanted to know, what can we do? And Peter tells them then how to be saved. Uh, repentance, uh, baptism in the name of Jesus, the infilling of the Holy Ghost, evidence speaking in tongues. So that, um, that explanation that, that was preached, and, and of course that was not the only thing that Peter preached to them. One of the first things that Peter preached to them, and it's a common theme whenever you see Peter preaching in the book of Acts. What did he preach to them? That they had crucified Jesus. This man that you have crucified, God has made him both what? Lord and Christ. So that's what Peter preached on Acts 2. Uh, then you get on to Acts 4, after Peter and John are going to the, the gate called Beautiful in the temple. Uh, the man that is lame is healed, 
and there's a witness that goes forth that the Bible says that all of Jerusalem knew who this lame man was. He was about 40 years old. Daily, someone had been putting him at the gate. He was healed, and the Bible called it a notable miracle. And so what does Peter and John they proceed, do? They proceed to go into uh, the temple. They begin to preach. And again, Peter uh, preaches about Jesus, about Jesus being crucified and that his blood was upon uh, the people. And he preached about um, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So Peter preached some of the same things he preached in Acts 2. He preached in Acts 4. And so again, we find that this thing is going to continue to build. So there's common elements in Acts 2, in Acts 4, and Acts 5. One, you got the people. And everywhere Peter and John and the apostles went in these early days of the, uh, the church, wherever everything they were operating in, in Jerusalem, they won, the people were enamored with them. The people were on their side. The people were amazed at what was going on. Secondly, what did they preach? They preached what they were eyewitnesses to, which was what Jesus had taught them to preach. Uh, and they, they witnessed the life, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And they continued to preach these common things. And so these, these elements are, as I've already said, are evident in Acts 2, Acts 4, and again in Acts 5. So we find it in verse 12 there that the Bible says that by the hands of the apostles were many signs and wonders worked where amongst the people. Just like Jesus was always drawn to the needs of the people, he trained his disciples to follow in his footsteps and they too began to work among the people. And the Bible says they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. Solomon's porch is a colonnade that was on the eastern side of the court of the temple. And it's a place where people commonly assembled. It was an assembly area where people could get together. And um, so that's where Peter and John had been preaching at the temple. And uh, the Bible says that they were in one accord. Reminds me of Acts 2, right? They were all with one accord in one place. What does that mean? They, what does it mean to be in one accord? It means they were in unity, right? They were in great unity. Whenever there's a, a move of God that is going on and people are being used and people are being filled with the Holy Ghost, you have to have an atmosphere of unity. Psalm 133 says this, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It is like the precious ointment upon the head that ran down upon the beard, even Aaron's beard, and went down to the skirts of his garment. As the dew of Hermon, as the dew that descended upon the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord commanded the blessing for life forevermore. It is important that the people of God, the ministry and the saints together, um, that we are operating in a spirit of unity. And it's been often said that a house that is divided against itself cannot stand. Jesus taught that one man cannot serve two masters. You'll love the one and hate the other. It's very important for us to be single-minded of one heart to pull together to accomplish what the Lord would have us to accomplish. Amen? 
Amen. We have to have a spirit of unity. All the many uh, wonders and signs that were wrought, I mean, it was evident to the people that there was an anointing that was flowing from these apostles because the people were in awe of them. The Bible says the people magnified them. They, they held Peter and John and the other apostles in high regard, in high esteem. And the believers, the Bible says, were added to the church. They continued, just like Acts 2, it says they were added to the church daily. So this, this, this ball is rolling, it's gathering, it's, it's like a snowball rolling downhill, it's gathering, it's building, it's building, it's building, it's building, and it's continuing on uh, here in Acts chapter 5. And people were so full of faith. The Bible says they brought their sick and laid them in the streets. Just for the chance, they said, well, maybe if Peter's shadow falls on somebody, they might And they were full of faith because they saw the signs that followed. Jesus told his disciples, these signs shall follow them that believe. These signs were following Peter and John, and it was evident to the people um, that these men, as the uh, Sanhedrin had told had commented about Peter and John, it was evident that they had been with Jesus. Because the same things that Jesus was doing, these guys were doing, healing the sick. Amen. They were casting out devils. The Bible says that many that were vexed or, what does that mean? It means they were tormented. People that were tormented with what? Unclean spirits. Those that were tormented with unclean spirits. They, they brought them. And the Bible says they were all We don't like to talk about unclean spirits, do we? We don't, we don't like to entertain the thought of unclean spirits or what maybe even that might be. And I've studied into that just a little bit, but essentially that can be foul spirits or people that are involved in things that they ought not be involved in. And they're tormented. Maybe it's a spirit of some sort of addiction. Maybe it's... Uh, number of things, but what's interesting to me is the people which were vexed that came, the Bible says they were healed. And I believe there's healing to be had in the presence of God. There's healing to be had from unclean spirits. If you want to be set free from something that is tormenting you, something that you know that you're bound by, some habit that you have that you want to break. There's a healing that God can do for you if you want to be healed. I don't know that there's an example in the Bible of someone that didn't desire to be healed that was healed. I can't think of one off the top of my head. But if you desire to be healed, amen, there is healing that is available to you. Amen. Verse 17 says, The high priest rose up, and all they that were with the him." Uh, which is the sect of the Sadducees, and were filled with indig indignation. Amen. Can anyone remember who the high priest is? We talked about him a couple weeks ago. Brother Ryan smiling. I'm going to put him on the spot. <laughs> Caiaphas, right? Caiaphas. Amen. If you'll remember, Caiaphas is the, same, we're the Sanhedrin, these, these Sadducees, amen, uh, that the ruling religious 
elites that were in charge in those days. These are the same people that had arrested Jesus and put him on trial. And Rome said, you know what? We give you authority to crucify him. I find, uh, Pilate said, I find no fault with him, but I'm going to take him. You crucify him. I'm not taking him. And so um, these are the same people. These are the same people that had arrested Peter and John uh, in chapter 4. And they, again, they feared the people. So they couldn't just out and out kill them. But these are people that had beat Peter and John and, and, and sternly rebuked them and told them specifically, do not go around teaching in the name of Jesus. Don't do this. So these are the same people. The high priest Caiaphas says he rose up and all that were with him, they were filled with indignation. That means they were filled with jealousy. What's happening? This movement centered around Jesus is growing. It's gaining power. It's gaining momentum. And they see that. And the more the apostles and the doctrine that the apostles preach gains momentum, the more power the religious uh, rulers of the time lose. And the Bible says it filled them with indignation. It filled them with jealousy. Because they could see uh, that they were losing influence and power with the people. It says, and they laid their hands on the apostles and put them in the common prison. But the angel of the Lord by night opened the prison doors and brought them forth and said, Go, stand and speak in the temple to who? The people, all the words of this life. And when they heard that, they entered into the temple early in the morning and taught. But the high priest came and they that were with him and called the council together, all the senate of the children of Israel, and sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came and found them not in the prison, they returned and told it, saying, The prison, tr- prison truly found we shut with all safety, and the keeper standing without before the doors. But when we had opened, uh, we found no man within. Now when the high priest and the captain of the temple and the chief priest heard these things, they doubted of them where unto this would grow. They were uncertain of what would become of this tale once it got out, right? Uh, and when then came one and told them, saying, Behold, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then went the captain of the officers and brought them without violence, for they, what, feared the people, lest they should have, lest they should have been stoned. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest asked them, Did we not straightly command you that you should not teach in this name? And behold, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine, and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. So here again, uh, the high priest have brought the apostles, they've arrested them, they've thrown them in prison. The angel of the Lord, there's a mighty miracle that happens. They're set free, and the angel gives them instructions to go to the temple and preach all the things about this life. Go and preach this gospel. And so that's exactly what the apostles do. They go early in the morning. They're back in the temple preaching, and the senate of the people. Um, Some of my studies, according to what I read, um, there was about 70 people, at least 70 elders from 
various tribes and, and power structure of, of governing the people that gathered together. So this was a serious deal. They're really concerned about this doctrine, about this Jesus that is being preached. They're really concerned about it. It's not like these characters are disconnected from what happened about two months ago. They know all about Jesus. They, they, uh, they conspire to cover up the resurrection of Jesus. These people know what's been going on. Okay, These are the same people. Now keep that in mind. And so they're really concerned because no matter how hard they try to tamp it down, stomp it out, restrict the apostles, no matter how much they threaten them, they keep seeing this continue to grow, this message about Jesus Christ. And what can they say against it? People are being healed. Blinded eyes are being opened. Lame people are walking. People that are tormented with unclean spirits are being set free. What can they say against what the apostles are doing? But their main thing is they're concerned that they're going to lose power. So it's a big deal. So they get all this council or senate of the people, the way the King James Version reads it, together to, to talk about what they should do. And eventually they find out that even though the, the prison is secure, even though the, the, um, the guards are standing where they're supposed to be, and the doors are locked inside the, temple, inside the prison, they can't find Peter and John and the apostles. But where do they find them? Eventually they find out, hey, those guys that we told not to teach in the name of Jesus, they're back in the temple. They're saying we're the ones that crucified Jesus Christ and they're preaching in the name of Jesus. They charged them saying you have filled all Jerusalem with your doctrine and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Again, we read and we can see from this context that they are afraid of what the people might believe. They're afraid of these people. They know the power of the mob. <laughs> they, knows, they know what happens when you get the power of the people on your side. And then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. This is the same answer that Peter and John had given to this council in Acts 4 and 19 where they said, But Peter and John answered and said, whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than unto God, judge ye. In 5 and 29, they said, we ought to obey God rather than men. We're in that situation increasingly in our society today. Is it, is it better to obey society and it seems like they're ever-changing uh, ever changing morals. And it seems like every day there's things that uh, people would used to be embarrassed to talk about, embarrassed to be seen in, embarrassed to act out that way in public. And increasingly evil is called good. And increasingly good is called evil. And so here we are, and we're faced with similar circumstances where people are trying to control what we say in public. What you say can be labeled hate speech. Simply saying what you believe, what your, uh, what your closely held religious beliefs are, can be judged 
hateful because people don't, you know, they say, well, you offended me. You hurt my feelings. You can't say that. You can't say that there's only men and women. It's considered hate speech by some people to say that only women can have babies. How insanely crazy is that? To say that only women can have babies. There is literally a movement in our country today that call them birthing persons. And when you say, wait a second, only women can have babies. Then you can be accused of being hateful. Just by simply stating a, a biological truth that has been known since the beginning of time. We can't say that because we're trying to control what we say. And really they want to control what you think, what you believe. There's coming a time where we're going to have to say we ought to obey God rather than man. So that, that, that's a heavy, heavy subject because here are Peter and John and the apostles and, and they're being brought for a second time before a group of men that have the power of life and death. They literally, and they, they probably would have killed Peter and John. In fact, later in the text it says they, they conspired. They want to kill them. They're concerned about losing power because they fear the people. That's the only thing that's keeping them from killing the apostles outright is they fear the people. And so these apostles are standing before people that have already arrested them before. They've already beaten them. Here they are. They've already arrested them a second time, thrown them in jail. They bring them out before it, and, and Peter and John, they're standing out there and saying, we got to obey God. We can't have babies. Knowing what power these men have to, to harm them physically, to shame them, to to uh, cause it to where to make it to where their lives are difficult. They they no doubt could could make it difficult for them to make a living. They could make things difficult for them within their social circles. These these guys have a lot of power. We're talking about the high priest. You you don't get any higher than that in Jewish society at the time. That's as high as you can get. And they're before them. And they have the, the, the apostles have the boldness and the audacity to say, we have to obey God and not man. You know, I pray that, that if we're ever in a situation where we either have to obey God or obey man that is against God or against our closely held religious convictions, that we have the same boldness and the same audacity to say, we will obey God. Amen. And that's not a given. That's something the apostles had because they were full of the Holy Ghost. They were full of the anointing of the Spirit. They had prayed, God, give us boldness. And when, and when they were called on the carpet, when it got hot, when the going got tough, they were willing to stand up and say, we're going to lift to God. The God of our fathers, they said, raised Jesus, whom you slew and hanged on a tree. You're talking about audacity. 
talking about audacity. They were saying to their face, you are culpable. You are responsible for killing Jesus. Him hath God exalted with his right hand to be a prince and a savior, for to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are his witnesses of these things. And so is also the Holy Ghost, whom God hath given to them that obey him. Again, the apostles are witnesses, and they're simply preaching about what they had witnessed. Jesus said, you shall be witnesses unto me in all uh, Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth. They were the witnesses and they were fulfilling what Jesus had called them to do. When they heard this, they were cut to the heart. This is talking about the, the, the Sanhedrin, if you will. Um, and they took counsel to slay them. Then there stood up one in the council, a Pharisee named Gamaliel. So you'll, you'll see here we have Sadducees who don't believe in the power of the resurrection and teach that. And then a well-respected man in the ruling council named Gamaliel is a Pharisee. And ever are Sadducees and Pharisees uh, contrary one to the other. And that's what you have here. So you have the ruling, the ruling power right now is really with the Sadducees and the high priest and his, and his priestly family. But the Pharisee, Gamaliel, stands up and he says he had a reputation among all the people and commanded to put the, the apostles aside, give them a little space where they couldn't hear. And he says unto them, you men of Israel, take heed to yourselves what you intend to do as touching these men. For, these, for before these days rose up uh, Theodos, boasting himself to be somebody, to whom a number of men, about 400, joined themselves, who was slain, and all as many as obeyed him were scattered and brought to naught. In other words, that little, that little movement came to nothing. And after this rose up Judas of Galilee in those days of the taxing and drew away much people after him. He also perished, and all, even as many as obeyed him, were dispersed. That little movement came to nothing. And now I say unto you, refrain from these men and let them alone, for if this counsel or this work be of men, it will come to nothing. He's saying if they're of men, if this is of the flesh, nothing is going to happen. This is going to peter out and it's going to go to nothing. But if it be of God, you cannot overthrow it, lest happily you be found even to fight against God. And to him they agreed, and when they were called the apostles, uh, when they had called the apostles, they beat them. And again, they commanded them that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. So the, they, they are, the council has themselves in a real bind. They want to conspire to kill the apostles so that they know the apostles are popular with the people. Just like John the Baptist was, just like Jesus was. And so they can't really touch them. Because if, they, if they're scared, there might what? There might be a riot. If, they, if there's a riot, Rome may throw them out and put some new people in charge of the Jewish people. They, wanna, they got a good thing going. They want to keep it going. But they also recognize that they're losing. They feel like they need to act because the more the Christian movement grows, uh, the less their influence. Uh, the, the, their influence is waning. So they're threatened by it, 
So they're in a bind. What can we do to stop it? We can't kill them. And so Gamaliel says, um, if it's of God, you'll be fighting against God. But if it's of man, it'll come to nothing. So they commanded the apostles to be brought in. They beat them and they told them again not to preach and teach in the name of Jesus. And it's interesting here in verse 41. It says, The apostles departed from the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for His name. Amen. It's an interesting interesting concept that the apostles had. Jesus had told them that they would suffer for the name of Jesus Christ. They would suffer uh, and be persecuted. And people would say all manner of evil things against them and persecute them and, and they would be outcast. And sure enough, that's exactly what happened. When they're preaching in the name of Jesus, they are being uh, persecuted for preaching in the name of Jesus. But they didn't get down and out. They didn't get in the dumps. They didn't let that stop them. The Bible says, and daily in the temple and in every house, they ceased not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. So I think the, the, the takeaway from this today is that we cannot fear men more than we fear God. We are not at a time where people are going to arrest us and beat us and tell us what we can and cannot say. Thankfully, we still have enough freedom that we, are, we can express ourselves, including our religious opinions, and, and our, our, we have freedom to do so. But there very well could be a day when you'll see persecution physically. Now, right now, you'll see it online. I'm not really scared of the, the Twitter mob. In fact, I'm not on Twitter, so I don't really care. But you can be slandered. You can be persecuted. There can be pressure applied to you in many ways. Amen. Ultimately, we have to decide, are we going to fear men are we going to fear society more than we fear God? And that's the application today. That's the application. Are we going to be afraid of what people might say about us uh, because we preach about Jesus? Because we still stand for holiness. Because we still stand for separation from the world. Because we still hold on to the, the, the doctrine that's been passed down to us. That we still dare uh, to say, uh, you know, the Bible teaches that male and female created he them. We still preach and teach that. We still preach that you need to be married. Amen. Before you, um, before you live together. We preach that. We hold that. There's society today that you will be ridiculed. You'll be mocked for that. But you have to say, you know, I, I'm, it doesn't mean you have to be hateful when you say things. It doesn't mean that, we, that, I, that I have a right to, to beat somebody over the head with my Bible. That's not what I'm saying today. But what I am saying is when the pressure is applied to you, will you stand with the Word of God? Is it ingrained in me enough that I'm willing to be like the apostles and say, you know what? I fear God more than I fear men. And this is my Bible. It says what it says. And I believe what it says. I believe it's in the inerrant word of God. 
And I believe it to be the very words of God. I believe that it is settled ever for everlasting. From the beginning to the ending, the word of God will remain. The Bible says, heaven and earth shall pass away, but thy word shall never pass away. It means it doesn't change. God values his word, and, and we're so blessed that he's given it to us. But every day, hour after hour, people chip away at the word of God. Chip away at it, chip away at it, chip away at it. You don't have to do this. Come on, do you really believe that, that Jesus was resurrected from the dead? you really believe that? Do you really believe that there's going to be a trumpet sound and that there's going to be the dead in Christ shall rise and there will be a rapture of the church? The Bible teaches many things that defy logic, that defy the laws of physics. The Bible is not intended to be something that explains. God didn't see fit to explain the way he did everything because our minds can't comprehend this. It's meant to be taken in faith. It does. It takes a leap of faith. I've preached this many times, or said this many times. Have you ever dropped something metal in water, like a piece of iron? Brother Hayes, what happens if you drop a piece of iron in water? Straight to the bottom. The Bible teaches, or has a story in the Old Testament, where some men were out cutting wood. And a man had a borrowed axe. The Bible says the axe head came off and fell into the water. The man was distraught because it was a borrowed axe. And he couldn't replace it. The Bible says the man of God wrought a miracle. And the axe head, the, <laughs> the axe head swung. That'll challenge your faith when you read that. Can you explain a piece of iron swimming? I can't but somewhere along the way we have to come to terms and come to grips with the fact that the word of God you're either going to believe it and you're going to accept what it says or you're going to be a denier and a doubter the Bible says that Jesus healed leprosy the Bible says that Jesus opened blinded eyes the Bible says that Jesus opened deaf ears the Bible says that Jesus was resurrected from the dead. Amen. There are things that we have to make up in our hearts and in our minds. Are we going to believe them or not? Amen. Let's pray together. God, we thank you today, Lord, for your word. We thank you for your truth. God, I pray that you would give us boldness, Lord, to stand in those days and say we're going to believe God rather than men. Lord, we pray today that you would help us, God, to stand on the word of God, stand for truth, Lord, to speak the truth in love but to stand firmly in love nevertheless. And Jesus, I pray that you would give us boldness, God, to simply in those days and times when we can do nothing else, give us the ability and the courage, God, to simply stand on your word. In Jesus' name.